Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. So today we're chatting with Callie, and Callie has four kiddos. Her first three wore C-sections, and then she had an unassisted home birth. So Callie, do you just want to give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are and then just take us to wherever you would like to start? Sure. Um, I am Callie. I am from Northern Colorado. Um, I have four kids that I stay at home and unschool. I also work part-time at my chiropractor's office, uh, and I just do um, assistant work uh, receptionist there. And in my free time and my hobby and my life's work, I am now a holistic doula, uh, lactation specialist, and placenta encapsulator. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Where Where can people find you if they're looking for a doula in your area, if you don't mind just giving yourself... A little yeah. <laughs> um, well, when I started, I kind of wanted to do it as like a living like, and then I, I kind of quickly started realizing that because of my history, it's hard for me to, um, to be the doula for everyone. Um, so I ended up kind of acknowledging that I am um, the doula for the people that feel like they don't have a choice and the, the people that, you know, um, need the support that they don't get in today's world. And so I've kind of just let them come into my life naturally. Um, so I did have a business and it was called, uh, womb fruit. (laughs) Um, but that, um, I kind of just let the business kind of go to the side for a little bit, but I, uh, I'm kind of hooked up with the doulas around here. Um, and then just on Facebook, um, Callie Clark. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I just kind of let it naturally happen. Kind of like, you know, God brings them into my life. And, you know, um, we kind of let a relationship grow and stuff from awesome. that. But um, the women that seek me out, like they want um, education and they want to empower themselves, you know, and they want to take control. And I think that's such a huge part of unassisted birth is being able to take responsibility for your actions, no matter what, you know, and be completely instinct led. And for me, I was coming up against these clients where, you know, like I want a natural birth in a hospital. And I'm like, man, like, that's not my forte. I don't know how to do that. You know, like, I, I don't think I'm the right doula here in this situation, because even though I could potentially advocate for you, it's not about me advocating for you. It's about you learning to advocate for yourself, yeah. you know, and when you're in a setting like that, no matter what kind of, you know, advocacy that you have, you know, they're literally trained to overcome, you know, uh, um, resistance to do what they feel is right. And that's why I don't want to vilify um, nurses and doctors in the medical field because they truly believe what they're doing is life-saving, but it's not always necessary, you know, and letting things go the way that they go without a time limit and without, you know, pushing things along. 
I believe is how birth should be. And so I don't know if a natural birth without intervention is possible in a home or in a hospital birth, but I just, yeah, I just don't feel um, maybe even experienced enough to handle those, you know? So I get people seeking me out, you know, maybe wanting just more um, prenatal education and then they kind of go from there. Or I do a lot of postnatal, you know, I show up and, you know, I comfort and support and help and, you know, clean and, you know, take care of animals. And, you know, I, I do that kind of stuff, but labor, um, I kind of just, I make sure that whatever I, whoever I'm supporting, I won't bring a negative energy of my own past experiences into that labor and delivery. It's, (laughs) it's been a hard journey. I have to admit, you know, I struggle with the feeling of failure, Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I started this business and I got it and I got my website up and I got my business cards and, you know, I was out there and I was spreading the word and I was meeting with people and, you know, connecting with everybody. And then I realized I'm like, you know, like if I got an influx of people right now, like, could I handle all that it entails, you know, cause after training, you feel like you could conquer the world. And then you realize that, you know, maybe, maybe it's okay to just be the doula for, you know, the rare people that have had the bad experiences and don't feel like they can find the support and education out there, you know? And, uh, yeah. So your success as a doula isn't necessarily measured by the number of clients that you have, but more so, I think more so the impact that you have Mm. on the clients that you actually serve or how you're able to support those moms. Yes. You know, kind of like a quality over quantity. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And even if I have a handful of, you know, quote unquote clients my whole life, like they'll each be so incredibly special, you know, and I will have just like prayed that, you know, I could be that voice of support that I struggled to find in, you know, my own journey, my own story. So. Well, take us to your story wherever you want to start. Well, um, I have a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 2-year-old. <laughs> so I spread them all out. And when I was um, 18, I, well, at first I thought I had the flu for like a month. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was just so poorly educated about my body that I didn't even know I was pregnant. And, um, you know, I ended up taking the tests and, um, it was kind of a rough time in my life where I wasn't even sure who the father was. And, you know, I just kind of went about this pregnancy and, um, my mom was literally the only person in my life. And, you know, she'd uh, take me to appointments and she'd get excited and we buy baby stuff and, you know, we'd go for walks in the afternoon and, you know, that kind of thing. And she was my only support back then. And we just both were just very ill prepared for what was coming. And so I just turned 19 when I ended up going into labor with my son and we went to the hospital the minute the contraction started, because <laughs> that's what you do in the movies, you know, like right, right when your pains start, you know, you go in. So we went in and we were told, you know, hey, come back when, you know, they're closer together and, you know, whatever. So we go home feeling, you know, like, oh, okay. So, you know, we just kind of worked through it and we went back a few hours later and I was, you know, far enough along that I was allowed to be checked in and stay. And they had asked me if they thought my water broke. And I was like, you know, I don't know. And they were like, well, if you, if it 
would have broken. When do you think it would have broken? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Last night, I guess, you know, I was laying there and I thought I felt something. And so that's when they set my clock ticking was when I had said that my water had probably uh, uh, popped, but the night before. And so I was immediately on this clock and I believe I only was there for about six hours before my time was up and I wasn't progressing and I needed Pitocin and, you know, like they needed to help this along because it was quote unquote, you know, too long. And so I got all the interventions and I started the Pitocin and I got the epidural and, you know, I, you know, was confined to the bed with the monitors and all of a sudden the D cell started. And I know now that's because of the uh, Pitocin and that's because it makes the contraction so much stronger. And um, it's because of the epidural, you know, that also makes the baby sleepy and they ended up using those things against me to talk me into a C-section. And it didn't seem urgent to me. It just seemed like it's been a long time. You're tired, um, you know, and baby's not doing well. And then started the, don't you want your baby to be okay? You know, like you wouldn't want anything to happen to your baby. And of course you don't want anything to happen to your baby. So, okay, like, I guess we'll have the C-section. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't know, you know, at that point, I wasn't even I was more terrified that I was doing something wrong that would uh, negatively impact, you know, my baby. So I had the C-section and, you know, everything was fine. And they came in and after, you know, an hour of stitching me up, I didn't even get to see him for a while and uh, wheeled me back. And, you know, I could barely stay awake and had the body shakes of the adrenaline and the, you know, epidural and you know, I just kind of started thinking, you know, like, was this really necessary? I mean, even at that point, I was like, I I just don't know if, you know, that was fine. And anyway, so um, I struggled with breastfeeding, I struggled with connecting. Um, I, you know, I didn't have I didn't feel like I had resources. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And uh, it, it just didn't seem like they had a lot of, and I don't know if they do now, but they didn't have like the La Leche League up there and they didn't have sources of information for new mothers. And I just struggled through it all, just feeling like a failure. And fast forward a couple of years, um, I married my husband and we had gotten pregnant with my first daughter and she, uh, I mean, from the moment that I was pregnant, you know, started the, the, uh, the appointments and, and immediately since I'd had a C-section, you know, uh, it was in my file. And I found out while I was pregnant with my daughter that they, what they had classified as an emergency C-section for my son, they put in my file as a, um, like a requested C-section, um, which was like super confident shaking to me because what they had seemed to be an emergency, turned out to be like they put in my file that that I had wanted it you know and I don't know that that was that was weird for me to process being pregnant the second time and um you know immediately with my doctor they tested for everything you know like gestational diabetes and group b strep and all these different things and um as it got farther and farther along like I was pretty firm and I wanted to have a v-back and there's just, there was just no, 
support. It was all kind of pushed to the side. Like they didn't really want to talk about it, but I, you know, I, I remained firm. I mean, I, even on my Facebook post years later, 10 years later, you know, I could see myself struggling to, to put up boundaries and to, you know, be firm in my decision. And, you know, I posted, you know, I'm definitely doing a VBAC, you know, this is what I want. And I know this is what's best and blah, blah, blah. And then like a couple weeks later, like I posted, well, uh, we're ending up doing a scheduled C-section because that's what we believe is best. And all I remember, I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember having a, um, I believe it was a 36 or 37 week ultrasound. And from my research now, like those are way unreliable. And, um, they had, they had projected my baby to be 11 pounds and they said, you know, the body is not capable of birthing that big of a baby, especially for somebody with a compromised uterus is what they said to me. And then she ended the conversation with, don't worry when we go in, I'll give you a tummy tuck. And oh my gosh, yeah, she literally like bribed me with a tummy tuck to schedule a C-section. Like even to this day, I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, and like, it, there's just this way that they, that, that they, that I was talked to, maybe I, I shouldn't generalize with they talk to you, but I was talked to, you know, like they know best, you know, and they know that, you know, this is going to be a big baby and they know that it will not, you know, that you will fail. And, you know, so I scheduled the C-section and she, um, well, first of all, when she came out, she had a lot of problems breathing. And I was told um, by another doctor that she was probably almost a month early. And like, I, I mean, like, again, you don't know enough about your body. You're not taught about this kind of thing in school. Like, you don't know. I was told when my due date was. I was told when I probably conceived. They used their calculator and they, you know, they calculated that this is when she needed to be born. And it's just, I just wonder how often this truly happens. You know, she struggled to be, um, to breathe and they, you know, had to put oxygen on her and take her back. And, you know, um, you know, I got my tummy tuck, but I also had to wait extra hours, you know, to see my baby. And I struggled with breastfeeding and, you know, they had given her the vitamin K shot and, you know, not to get completely off topic here, but I just realized the, the potential danger of vaccines as well, because um, with the hep B and the vitamin K together, she ended up with severe jaundice and she ended up with seizures. And that was our wake up call for that particular subject was we needed to do more research because even though our baby was struggling to breathe, it didn't seem like she should be having these seizures, you know, and they told us it was immature brain activity, the seizures. And they sent us down to children's hospital and they drugged her up on all these things. And we were there for a week. It was the most terrifying experience of my life. And like knowing what I know now, I know that it was she was probably really early and the vaccines had a role in that. And that's also when we decided to stop vaccinating as well. But um, anyway, so, uh, you know, that was, that was Haley. That was, 
you know, it was so, it was so traumatic, all that after stuff. And the nurses were very unkind, you know, and not supportive. And especially of breastfeeding. Um, I tried to take her out of the billy blanket to breastfeed her. And they literally said to me and my husband, do you want your baby to die? And I was like, I'm just trying to breastfeed. Like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And they were like, no, when she's in the blanket, you bottle feed her. And like anybody that knows anything knows that your baby doesn't need that much in the first couple of days. And yet they were pumping two ounces into her. I mean, she was humongous from day one because like they, it was, she was bloated with the medications and overfeeding her. I mean, we struggled for the first year of her life with um, allergies and, you know, um, intolerances to certain formulas. And I mean, I never really got a chance to breastfeed her, not even a little bit, you know, because they gave her a bottle from the moment she was born and then sent us down to children's hospital and, you know, just this whole thing. And, you know, I, I, that's one of my biggest regrets, I think, is, is Haley's birth. I didn't know enough with Caden's birth, but with Haley's birth, I felt like I was just so compliant that I was kind of just walked all over and my baby suffered because of it. So uh, five years later, um, I ended up pregnant with my third. And at this point, I'd spent the last couple of years knowing that something was wrong. And I did the research and I spent hours you know, on podcasts like this and, you know, like information and, you know, on the ICANN website. At this point, I was struggling to educate myself. I wanted to know what they were going to say. I wanted to know how I could, how I could do better. But it, but at that point, like, I didn't even think about really having a home birth. Like I wanted a natural hospital birth. <laughs> so, you know, all of the education, whatever I spent months, I, I think I was actually like five or six months before I finally found a VBAC after two C-sections friendly doctor. And I traveled like 45 minutes to get to her, right? And at first she was amazing. Oh yes, your body was made to do this and you can absolutely, and you know, like so much support and here's some, you know, um, here's some education, you know, um, and let's do this together. And as the pregnancy progressed, I started getting like, she wouldn't really talk about it anymore. And it got to the point where I was so uncomfortable at a appointment with my husband and my children there. Um, I said to her, are you still okay with a natural birth, like a a VBAC after two C-sections? And she looked me up and down and said, because you are so overweight, your fat pads will suffocate your baby in your birth canal. And the minute you walk into that hospital, I will to wheel you back for a C-section. And this came so completely out of the blue. Now, looking back, she had been testing me for gestational diabetes, like every single appointment, you know, and I was overweight. Absolutely. But, you know, like I was being healthy in my pregnancy and I knew that I was okay, you know, and I didn't realize that I I don't, I can't remember the exact term for it, but like they kind of reel you in and then they find an excuse to talk you out of uh, delivery a bait and, and switch bait and switch yeah, is what it bait is. and switch. Thank you so much. She put herself on the ICANN website and then um, it took me years, but I finally 
made sure that I reached out to those people, to her, including like I wrote a review and I sent an email to her personally and, and let her know how traumatic my experience with her was. And I reached out to the ICANN website and let them know that she is not um, VBAC friendly at all. And like, but like, it took me a long time to get over the trauma of, you know, being abruptly turned on. And then to say something that is not so that is so outlandish in my mind, you know, like, because I had been watching the videos, I knew that like anybody can birth that baby, you know, like your body was made to birth that baby. And just because I'm overweight to tell me that that's, what's going to kill my baby in the birth canal. Like it, I mean, it hurt obviously, but it was just so ridiculous. Even in that moment that I was like, and we're never coming back here. I hope you realize that. Like, mm-hmm. I will never, you know, like we, we are not continuing this, this relationship at all. And I did, I fired her. But um, <clears throat> so then here I was, and I'd been planning all this. And now I was doctorless. And now I, I was hospitalless because I didn't know which hospital she was going to be at. So we'd have to travel to a brand new hospital that I hadn't done research on to have this baby. And it was, it was in that moment. And I was about probably eight months pregnant. I was so close to the end um, that I realized that I don't think that that is a safe place for me is to have my baby in this hospital. I don't believe that my baby would be safe. And I don't believe that I would be safe. You know, I thought that I was being listened to. And I thought that, you know, I was being heard, but I was just being, you know, baited. And so that's when I was like, okay, like switch, let's, let's go to home birth. And um, I'll see if I can find a midwife. And, you know, and I, I ended up not finding anybody that was like, that would even touch me with a 10 foot pole. But so in the last two or three weeks of my third pregnancy, I went to trying to empower myself amidst all of my fear and betrayal um, to have this home birth. And that's the mindset that I went into. So even though I said I was fine, and even though I had all the education and everything, I truly hadn't empowered myself to trust in my body, which is, which is why ultimately with my third, um, I ended up laboring for two days. And as a doula, I know that fear can stall labor now, you know, and I was, I was, I was just so fearful. I thought that having, you know, the perfect birth pool would help me out. And I thought that ordering a, you know, little birth kit with all the stuff would make me feel better. And so like we went out and spent all the money to get all the stuff to, to try and make myself feel better. But when it came down to it, after laboring for so long in my brand new birth pool, um, the fear overwhelmed me. And I recognize that now is probably, I was really close to transition. Um, But at one point, I was like, there's something wrong and I have to go in and they have to tell me that, that this is okay or not. Okay. Like I need somebody to tell me that my baby's okay. And so probably in the middle of transition, we drove, you know, almost 45 to minutes to an hour away to go to a hospital where I had said to them at first, you know, I really would just love some pain management, you know, like I'm exhausted and I'm, I'm in pain and, you know, I just need help you know, that was just it's all they needed, really. You know, I got hooked up to an epidural and all of a sudden the heart decels and baby's not handling and baby's stressed and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I found myself in my third C-section room. And uh, I think that was hard for me in a lot of different ways because I knew that I could do it, 
but in the moment I didn't trust myself to do it and therefore I failed and that was it was a hard blow for me and I I went into a pretty dark depression after that for a little bit and I just at some point I just had to forgive myself for my ignorance and I had to forgive myself for being afraid and I just had to let it go and uh oh and oh and by the way she was 10 pounds four ounces and the doctors were like oh my goodness it's so good you had a c-section because you know there's no way she could have come out and she would have gotten stuck and she probably would have died and you know like all this stuff afterwards along with that at least you have a happy baby you know like Mm. that that whole pitch like discount your feelings and at least you have a healthy baby they were also like she was so big that you know it wouldn't have happened anyways and like I was done after that like I was like I don't want any more kids I you know I've tried so hard and anyway so (laughs) after all that healing and forgiveness and you know I bonded with her you know more I think it was because I was in labor for so long like I just I felt the I felt my instincts in that moment and even though I let the fear get to me like that was my little pinprick of hope was I had just bonded to her in this labor intervention free labor you probably had I mean just a different mix of hormones going on because you had that labor instead of just opting straight for yeah. And I, I let my body do its thing. Like that was the first time that I was allowed to labor, you know, because even with my son, I mean, I was hooked up immediately to, you know, the bed and the epidural and everything. And I didn't get that with her. And so even though I was feeling all the pain, I was also feeling, I'm sure yeah, the hormones were just, it was actually cool. Like I, I was proud of the fact that I had labored for two days you know, and I'd gotten so close and, you know, ultimately it didn't happen, but like I did it and like uh, the recovery was so much easier with, with self and like, it was just a completely different experience. And so when surprise baby number four showed up a couple years later, like that was it. Like never once did I think I need to find a doctor. Never once did I think I need to find a midwife, you know, for uh, my pregnancy and labor, you know, I, I, I knew that I could do it. And it was a really hard conversation with my husband, because even though he was, he was supportive with the third, we both kind of knew that it was going to be like a labor at home deliver in the hospital situation, because I just wasn't confident enough to have her at home. Um, so he didn't really have to worry about it. Cause you know, he knew that help would be there. So to tell him that I was going completely unassisted through the whole thing, it almost seemed like he was angry um, at me putting myself in danger. It it was a rough couple months there at first. We had to have some some pretty emotional conversations. And, um, you know, he was just like, I'm afraid for you. And I'm like, I'm afraid for myself, you know, but I also know that I can do this. I do hear that a lot, that sometimes the husband or the support person or whoever it is that's going to be supporting you through your pregnancy and birth Mm. is a little bit more hesitant when it comes to home birth, just in general. Yeah. Was was there anything like in particular that helped you guys work through that just for anyone who might be in that same position? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so like we had had 
um, Sophie's birth. And, you know, like he had watched me labor and progress. And, you know, even though I ended up with a C-section, like there was still this, like, uh, almost like we had proved to ourselves that I could do it, you know, because I literally had a doctor with my son tell me that my body just wasn't made for labor and delivery. Like they didn't outright say it, but they, they insinuated that my body was broken. Like there was something wrong with me, you know, my hips wouldn't spread and my, you know, I wouldn't dilate and I would never progress. And so like, like, and that was happening. And so I, it was just, so neat to, you know, to know that finally. And so we ended up having, first of all, we had to unpack some, uh, some emotional stuff with each other. Like, um, for instance, you know, like, uh, there was just a lot of tears, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm scared for you. Yes. You know, but, but this is a natural thing that happens every day. This is literally what my body was made to do you know? And then he's like, but what if something goes wrong? And I'm like, but I will trust myself to know if something is wrong. Like I, I felt those instincts through the hormones and, you know, through the labor, you know, and I know that I have them and, and I'm starting to trust myself. And this is where education doesn't really serve you sometimes. And empowerment comes in because then I had to truly believe that I could do this, you know, and that I would know when something is wrong and that, you know, I took responsibility for, for my choice and, and no matter what that meant, you know, for my, my, my sake and my baby's sake, like I was taking full responsibility, you know, over our lives. And that was scary for me because it's so easy to sit back and go, well, the doctors got it wrong. And I ended up with C-section and they're to blame. But when you make a decision to free birth and not have anybody present and unassisted, like you're taking that responsibility on. And there may be some people that said that may say to me, well, this wouldn't have happened if you would have been in the hospital. Well, you know what, though, like, like, that's where I felt safest. And that's where I knew that my baby would be safest. And that's that's where it should be like it, like a biological natural process happening without, you know, so much just extra stuff. And, um, I actually was on, and I can't remember the exact website, but it was one of my, um, home birth, unassisted home birth support groups on Facebook. And somebody had said, it's like, um, uh, going unassisted is like, you know, telling your husband, to go to the hospital when he has to have a bowel movement and having somebody check him and having somebody poke and prod, you know, and having somebody suggest that maybe they just go in there and they do it for you and not trusting your body (laughs) to have, you know, this bowel movement unassisted. (laughs) And it was kind of eye-opening for both of us because we're like, is it just that simple? you know, is it that simple to just trust that your body knows what it's doing Mm -hmm. and it can do it the same, you know, as the only thing relatable to a man is, you know, a bowel movement. And we like, we just kind of sat with that for a little bit. And then that's, you know, that's when he started the research. And up to this point, he'd been very, uh, you know, go with the flow, whatever you want, you know, like I'm going to have my opinions and my fear, but you know, ultimately this is up to you. And I think this is where he finally was like, you know, is it, you know, like, can it literally just be this simple? You I know, saw just... a very similar post, just jumping back yeah. to the movement thing. Just the other day, I saw a post that said, 
having a baby and having a bowel movement are both natural biological functions that your body knows how to do that (laughs) sometimes requires additional Mm -hmm. medical support but not always so that's not typically yeah right normally does it require assistance Mm -hmm. you know yeah it was that's so funny and like sometimes I include it in my stories and sometimes you know it just might be a little TMI but (laughs) (laughs) but it's I think in this instance yeah it changes the perspective like Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird the first time you hear it and you're like what having a baby and going to the bathroom aren't the same thing but it it makes you think (laughs) Like how, how does your body know how to just go to the bathroom? How does your body know how to sustain a pregnancy and nourish your baby and do all of this stuff? Like it just knows and birth is no different. And you know, another one that I read and I read this actually just a little bit ago, not um, from any of my labor uh, pregnancies, but it said uh, my body literally knew the exact day to grow my baby's eyelashes you know, how do I not trust it to that deliver it safely, you know, to have this baby safely. And that's not verbatim. I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah, like it was so crazy. Like here he is and like your body is literally creating this human being and yet we don't trust it to give birth. Like how, how crazy does that even sound? Mm-hmm. You know, that we can make a baby, but we can't have it, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and what I did realize in my husband's search for education and knowledge is that there's just not a lot of support for the, the, the partners, for the, for the dads, for the men. There's just like, you know, as many um, unassisted home birth groups as there are for women, there's just none for men you know, and I think, I don't know, that's something that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot lately is maybe trying to um, start or support a group for the dads and for the men. And and just because you hear all these positive things on, on these Facebook groups and podcasts and, you know, Instagram and stuff. And there's just, you know, but what about the other side of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so I think we both got to the point probably in the second trimester where we were like, like, okay, like, let's, let's do this. Like, let's trust and let's, you know, let go of our fear and, you know, doubt and, you know, like, I'll be here to support you. And it's so funny because like, neither one of my families, our, our families really came around. Like his mother was, she said she was supportive, but she was also one of the ones that was like, you know, if I catch a whiff of trouble, I'm calling 911, you know, and my mother was there, but she told me afterwards that she was terrified. Like she thought I was absolutely insane, you know, and she was really concerned and I've got nurses in the family. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it ended up being kind of a secret that I was in labor um, because we just didn't want to deal with the drama. But So after that, like it was really um, taking each day and every time that I felt fear, I felt it and I examined it and then I released it. And it, it was just really awesome to be able to, um, to hold on to it because it was a part of me and then to, you know, like, like acknowledge it. Like I get that this fear is coming at me and I know where it's coming from. And then to just be like, however, I trust my baby and my body. 
And I, you know, am going to do something that is done every day all over the world, something that I was literally made to do. And then there was just this peace. I mean, I never once saw a doctor. I never once got a test. I, you know, it was the most peaceful, uh, joyful pregnancies. It just really was. I, I cannot recommend it enough. You don't even realize the stress, even subtly, that you get from an appointment. There just was no, there was just just no uh, introduction of doubt. I was just free to be who I needed to be in the moment. Um, on March eighth, <laughs> which is International Women's Day, and my husband's grandfather's 80th birthday <laughs> that we were supposed to be at, I went into labor. I was just so, I, I was just so happy, like. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Right. So when you don't have like all the fear and doubt, like you get to your labor and you don't dread it. Like, you're not like, Oh, here we go. You know, it was just like, Oh, of course, of course, I'm going into labor on his grandfather's birthday. (laughs) Of course, of course. So, you know, I ended up spending the first couple hours alone, laboring quietly, um, watching friends on TV and laughing. And, and then I kind of got bored and I woke my husband up and, you know, um, he made me some, um, uh, like food, some toast, and he made me like an electrolyte drink. Um, and like, we just kind of hung out. And then at some point they started to get a little bit more intense and he filled up the birth pool and we both got in and we were still watching friends and, you know, and then it, um, progressed a little bit farther into not being able to speak through my contractions. And I needed some counter pressure on my hip. And then it was, uh, you know, like active and it was, you know, um, my body. And this was something that I was completely unprepared for. My body pushed my baby out without my help. Like, I don't know if I ever ran across that information when I was doing all my research, but that uh, fetal ejection reflex is no joke. Like it just, it's insane. I, there's literally no way to describe it except for maybe like trying to stop throwing up in the middle of the flu. Like when you have the flu, like there's no stopping it. Your muscles are literally pushing your baby out. And it is such a powerful experience. Like, yeah, I literally didn't push at all. Like my body pushed my baby out. (laughs) It was so cool. (laughs) I still get stuck on that sometimes, but anyway, and then uh, I'm laboring on all uh, hands and knees, you know, that seemed to be my best uh, position. And then the fear came in and that's, you know, and I (laughs) I told my husband, I said, transition is where the fear comes, you know, because up to this point, like it had been great. I I was barely even feeling actual pain, just pressure, you know, and I believe that's the difference between the fear and the trust is, you know, when you're afraid you tense up and it, and it causes pain because you think your body thinks there's a problem, but you know, up to this point, it was just pressure. And then the fear hit. And then the pain came and I had told Trevor, my husband, I was like, in that moment, there's not a lot you can do. I said, you know, but the best thing that I would suggest for my, for me specifically is to just ask me questions, you know, to try and bring me out of the fear and get me refocused. So immediately I'm like, there's something wrong. And he's like, what do you feel like is wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, okay, you know, do you want to give it a couple more minutes? And he, and I was like, yeah, you know, and I can, I can do this. And that was one of my uh, birth affirmations. I can do anything for one minute, you know? And so I just kept saying it, I can do anything for one minute one more minute. And so 
I labored a little bit long and um, I could feel her coming down the birth canal. And then once the contraction was over, she would go back up. And I know now that that is a very normal uh, thing that happens. And especially in VBAC women, um, it's to relieve the pressure on the um, um, the C-section, the, the um, weakest part of your uterus. So it doesn't like, I read this whole study about how like your body recognizes like scars and healing and, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't allow for your baby to, it helps you um, to give birth without putting too much pressure on the weak part of your uterus. And also, you know, that helps with the stretching. But in my mind, I keep going to what I was thinking is I was thinking that um, the cord was wrapped around her neck and she was, you know, like stuck up there. Like, I think that's what eventually I, I was like, I need to, I, I had given up and I was like, okay, I can't do this, you know? And like, it was the transition. And the minute that I stood up and my, my husband, he was actually like helping me change positions. I stood up, he helped me stand up and I stood there for a minute and literally all it took was just gravity. She was already there and it already, all the work had already happened. You know, the muscles had worked, you know, my cervix open and the baby down and into perfect position. And, and I just didn't know that that's what had been happening. And she literally just popped right out. (laughs) And, uh, it was, it was really cool because my mom ended up catching her and my husband and I were, you know, like he was holding me and it was a really neat moment for that to actually happen like the way that it should happen. And it was almost shocking to me a little bit to be like, wow, like uh, you like you you don't understand it when you read about it but to go through it you're like you know like you understand like what everything up to that point was for you know and um anyway so it was really cool oh because she had two true knots in her cord and like she was fine and healthy she was nine and a half pounds you know she (laughs) she was so healthy she like pinked up immediately. And, you know, um, I mean, her placenta came out within an hour and it was a big old placenta and, uh, (laughs) and her cord was like three feet long. It's so funny, all the stuff that like you remember, right. So like, I don't remember really holding her and I don't really remember, you know, like I remember looking at her, but I was, you know, kind of just in that shock for a minute, but man, I remember what the cord looked like. (laughs) I remember what the placenta looked like. And, um, you know, just these small details that kind of stick out in your mind. And, um, what I had done was hire a midwife for, for my family, mostly, um, to come check on us afterwards. Cause that was our, our bargain really was, you know, I wanted to be unassisted during pregnancy and delivery, but, you know, they insisted on, you know, um, having somebody come and check on us afterwards. And I really wish I wouldn't have done that because, you know, it was very much a, make sure your baby is gaining this a day and, you know, make sure um, to stay skin to skin. And like, it was just a lot of, a lot of rules and instructions that I hadn't had. And I was being instinct led. And then to have somebody come in and override my instincts and tell me what to do, it, it threw me off and introduced a little bit of negativity. And um, I just know that going through that, I I don't think I ever would have I don't think I'll ever, I definitely know that I'll never do that again. If the situation arises, you know, because you either trust yourself or you don't, you know, and 
having somebody come in and tell you what to do goes against everything that you've been feeling for so long. Yeah, it brought a lot of doubt back into that. And it took me a while to get over that. But how long after birth did the midwife come? Um, she had a, I'm trying to remember the exact, there's a specific amount of hours. So that way she's not liable for the birth. Um, I believe it was six, six hours after the birth. Um, and this is just, um, this specific midwife, um, on when I talked to her about that, she said, you know, like, I I can't be there for the labor or the delivery, you know, like I have to come as soon as baby's done. And I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, if anything goes wrong, you know, then she's still not held liable. So as long six hours, I think it was so that everybody knew the baby was okay. And then she could come in and, you know, kind of do things. But um, yeah, so we called her afterwards and she came the next morning. Oh, and my, my um, labor was only 10 hours long for my birth after three C-sections, like, especially after laboring for two days with my third, it was, it was kind of quick. It was nice. It, I don't know. It was kind of surprising that I didn't labor longer, but how much of that were you feeling that uh, fetal ejection reflex for having your body push for? Probably about two hours. Um, and it started off as just little, uh, little, uh, little pushes, you know, probably to get baby into position. And at the end, probably for an hour is when the, the huge, I mean, like get the baby out pushes were there. And, um, at the very end when she, cause, uh, when I stood up, her head popped out and that's when I kneeled, uh, like I hit the ground to make sure she didn't hit the ground. <laughs> and, um, the last push was the, was the body. And, and I didn't really even realize that I was doing it, but, um, I had pushed really hard with the, uh, contraction with the fetal ejection reflex. And I did end up tearing a little bit. And I know if I would have just let my body do it, I don't, I don't believe I would have torn. It was just like a moment of panic or maybe even surprise, like, whoa. <laughs> and I just started she pushing. Is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then for the placenta, I know you mentioned that, did you say it was about an hour mm. that came out? Yeah, we uh, left her attached the whole time for about an hour. And then I had been having the um, afterbirth pains. And, uh, they just kind of like stopped, um, after a while. And I realized that the placenta had detached. And so, um, I got up to try and go to the bathroom to pee so that I could get my placenta out. And when I stood up to get out of bed, um, is when the placenta just came right out. I didn't really even have to do anything. And then, um, let's see, after that, I was feeling a little lightheaded and a little dizzy. And I took a shower because we um, had cut the cord after the placenta came out. And um, I ended up taking um, a tincture that I had had on hand. And it really helped clear my my head a little bit and make me a little bit more calm. Because, I mean, I just, I don't know if it was hormones or the shock or, you know, whatever. It was just a very wild ride. And so, like, it kind of helped me refocus a little bit. But I think the best part was, like, you know, like we did everything on our own time. And I literally just, you know, stood up after I had her and walked to my bed. Like there was no poking or prodding or bright lights, or it was very warm and dark and cozy and calm. And, you know, and my baby was calm and I was calm. And 
it was just a very different experience than in a hospital. And especially oh. in an OR, having a C-section and you have the bright lights and there's like mm-hmm. 20 people in there and your baby oh, doesn't yeah. come straight to you. And so no. to get to walk yeah. straight to your bed and just snuggle up with your baby is Yeah, it was so perfect. weird. I mean, even all, you know, gooped up as we were, like, it was just so cool to just feel safe, like to get into like my safe area and bring my baby with me and, you know, bring her to my chest and, and just hold her and like cover her up. And I don't know, it was just a, it was just such a beautiful, calm, you know, moment afterwards. And I got that hour, I got hours, you know, I just, I wasn't interrupted, not even once. I mean, my husband just crawled into bed with us and, you know, our other kids came in and met the baby and it was just such a beautiful bonding moment. Like it's, I don't think it's something that you could replicate in a medical setting. After that first day or two after the birth, how did the rest of the postpartum time go? I, I struggled for a little bit and that was the midwife came uh, I think she came two days in a row and then a week after, and then the, another week after that. And I don't really know why I like let her come that much. It wasn't necessary, but so every time she came, she, you know, weighed the baby and, you know, talked about, I mean, just all the stuff that I like knew, but in a way that was like, it was like, I didn't know, like, or like, I wouldn't have known, you know, like, uh, make sure the baby doesn't lose more than a pound after birth, you know, and your milk needs to be coming in, you know, two days afterwards. And if that's not, and make sure that, you know, the hind milk and the fore milk and gassy baby. And like, it was, it was too much information, too much instruction. Um, especially since I wasn't struggling with it at the time. So, it was something to worry about, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't helpful at all. It was just, it was just too much. And it ended up just like stressing me out. And, you know, because I had tore, um, I just a little bit, I was upstairs in my bed for the first week, um, or two almost. And, um, that was super nice, but I, I couldn't just, I couldn't get it out of my head that, you know, I had to watch out for you know, if she was losing too much weight or if my milk didn't come in when she said, and, you know, maybe I should start pumping right away so that, you know, there was, it's funny, as much as I trusted my body with the, with the pregnancy and delivery, I didn't trust my body to breastfeed. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, well, let's try this supplement to get more milk and let's try, you know, this one to, you know, get your milk to come in faster. And, you know, why don't you, you know, hand express and, you know, I, it was just, it was so much. And I really did struggle um, with breastfeeding. Um, I got about nine months though, and ended up having to supplement after um, a few months. But um, like, I just did everything that I could to make sure that, you know, she got as much as I could give her for as long as I could give her. I, I, again, I struggled with, you know, the feelings of failure and, you know, how could I birth my baby and then I couldn't feed my baby. And <laughs> it's just, it's just this vicious cycle of self-doubt that it, inherently as a person I struggle with. Well, and there's a lot of companies and organizations and places out there that kind of put that, that doubt out there because they profit mm. off of that too. So oh, I think absolutely that's to remember and keep in mind is it's not, it's not always 
us that fails, but it's almost more we're sabotaged by mm. all of these different things. Because yes. kind of what you were saying, like next time, if there's a next time, you wouldn't yeah. have the midwife come and no. instill all these doubts. If we, mm -hmm. if we just let our bodies do what they're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. most of the time it's gonna work out but because we have all these doubts and fears that we get from I mean you can't even go to a grocery store without seeing yes. aisles and aisles of baby stuff mm -hmm. and formula and pacify I mean everything mm -hmm. that you can think of and so of course we think like kind of like you were saying too with your third birth like I need all these things all these things are what's gonna make yes. it happen but that's mm -hmm. not that's not true in birth and that's not true in motherhood either. I don't think no. we don't need all these extra things. We, nope. we know how to take care of our babies if we're able to really tune into that, but yes. we don't live in a culture that allows us to tune into that. No, I mean, think about baby showers, you know, I mean, like, what do you get in baby showers? You get, you know, pacifiers and you get, you know, all these things that are just completely unnecessary. You know, I mean, do babies really even need clothes for the first month? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, literally on you 24 seven, like you're breastfeeding and you're bonding. And, you know, like, it, it, I was just kind of thinking like, here I was this like postpartum, like I was dealing with my stuff, but I was still in the moment bonding and just this hormonal glow, you know, and then the midwife comes in and it's almost like when you know, you're in the hospital and you're finally starting to get some rest. And then a nurse comes in and has to poke you or make, you know, wake you up or, you know, like you were, I was almost torn out of this, you know, hormonal bubble of happiness and into like, think about this and don't forget to do that. And, you know, it, it was hard to get back into the moment after being taken out of this moment. It, I mean, like, and like, like I said, like if there was a medical need, like we would have dealt with it, but like, if, if there's not like it's, it was, it was an unnecessary intervention is what hiring that midwife was. I just, I can't, I can't even believe I did it. Honestly, that's, that's compromising for, you know, to make people happy and like, it's not about other people. Mm -hmm. I, I just, yeah, it just wasn't necessary. Is there anything else you can think of that you want to add maybe for women who are just kind of weighing their options and trying to decide how they would want to move forward in a pregnancy and birth or just anything that you've learned over your own journey? I know that my own journey, it was just, it was so, it was so rocky, but it was necessary. Everything that I went through was exactly what needed to happen to get me to where I needed to be, to do what I needed to do, you know? And I know that I just witnessed a very inspirational birth, um, with my 22 year old cousin who was 100% unafraid the whole pregnancy. She didn't see a doctor. She didn't, you know, go to any appointments. She trusted her body and, you know, she read the signs if she was craving this, you know, this is probably what she was, you know, needed more of minerals and food. And I mean, it was all instinct led and, there was no pain in her labor at all. She, I mean, it was less than 12 hours with her first baby. She crowned for two of those hours. She didn't do anything than a gentle grunt. I mean, she was just so focused and calm and just 
sure of herself. It was such a like a contrast to see so many people's first um, pregnancies and deliveries and watch them struggle with the fear as opposed to, you know, somebody who didn't go in at all and trusted from day one. And I'm sure she had her fear and doubts, you know, we all do as human beings, but you know, like she just like left them, like acknowledged them and then like released them. And like, it was the most incredible birth I've ever seen. And I guess if I don't even know what to recommend. I mean, like acknowledge your fear and, and release it. And, you know, education is important, but empowerment is, is key. You know, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in your body and what it was made to do. And, you know, believe that you have the instincts necessary. And I know that everybody's experience is going to be different, but I know that I just know that birth is such an incredible thing and uh, so powerful and wild and just amazing. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. all of your stories. It was it was awesome to hear just the mental side of things and that empowerment versus education thing I think is huge because yeah. we do folk, I mean, there's a lot of birth education courses and there's a lot of information mm. out there. I mean, you can go online and find information about just about anything these yeah. days, but if you don't, if you don't do that mental work and really find that empowerment and that power within yourself, yes, there's still, I, this is just my opinion, but there's still going to be a struggle somewhere along the line if you're not oh, truly yeah. believing what you're filling your mind with. And and despite and despite the mm-hmm. um, the education and empowerment, like like for me, I just expected to get to this place of constant peace, and yet I was still struggling with fear, you know. And it, and like it's okay to do that. Like I don't know if there's any somebody that like never experiences fear, but like, it's okay to, to be afraid. I don't know. Like that was, that was pretty important for me too. You know, like ever, I would get so frustrated at myself. Didn't I just deal with this? Didn't I just deal with this fear? You know? And then I was like, no, like just let yourself go through it because you don't need to keep that fear, you know? And the fear is natural, especially, you know, I mean, like, it's just, it's just a natural thing. But like you can release it and you can get back to, you know, your peace. Like it's okay to doubt and it's okay to fear. Just yeah, I think that's a good point that it's it's more of a constant process rather yes. than like you reach this level of, okay, now I can do this because mm-hmm. that fear is still going to creep in. But you're right. You yeah. have to you have to work through it. And there's a reason that that, that if it's a continuous fear that keeps coming up, there's mm-hmm. probably a reason why it keeps coming up. So yeah. we really need to address that and work through it to be able yeah. to move forward. And part of trusting yourself, yeah, is like realizing that maybe, yeah, maybe that's something more to look at. You know, like your your body and your brain is all about survival, you know? And so like, if it's bringing something to your attention over and over again, there's probably still something there that you need to examine or deal with or, you know, well, thank you again. It oh, was so yeah. nice chatting with you. Yes. I appreciate you sharing all of your stories with us. Yes. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.